Was the card the Ace of Spades? No, but I knew you were going to ask that. And then I remember stuff piling on me. And then I realized I couldn't breathe any longer. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. And there was somebody laying on my shoulder. And all I could see was blonde hair. We never processed it. We held it. We bottled it up. We never really, I mean, you know, we could have all fucking died, right? I mean, we could have easily all died. But Cliff died. And I, Bobby and I have never, just so you know, a disclaimer, Bobby and I have never had this discussion before. I don't think I've had it with anybody. No. Hey guys, this is Joel. You're watching my podcast, Party Like a Rock Star. Today's episode is a little bit different than a lot of the other interviews I did. A lot of the other interviews I was pushing on humor. My book is filled with a lot of humor. This episode deals with some for lack of a better word, heavy stuff. Uh, both of these guys, Aiden Mullen and Bobby Schneider, worked for Metallica way back in the day. Both of them were on the bus when Cliff Burton died. It's a terrible day in music, and it was a difficult interview, to be honest. I would think it was hard for all of us, but I think it was healthy for these guys. And that, of course, means a lot to me. I care about my roadies. <laughs> I do. And so... What should happen here is you guys should be able to listen to some awesome, interesting content for you as fans, but the goal of all of us was that people remember Cliff Burton for who he was, a person who was instrumental in one of the best bands in history. And um, these guys went through some hard things for them to go through, so keep it in mind. If you haven't watched any of my podcasts and you don't know who I am, I'm an ex-roadie too. I used to work for bands like Guns N' Roses, Stone Tumble Pilots, Poison, and the Cranberries. I wrote a book called Memoir of a Roadie, and it was the number one new release on Amazon and Bios. It's done 3 million copies on Kindle, and I've been riding an amazing roller coaster of fun. In doing that, I started interviewing other roadies. I have interviewed Aiden. You can check out his interview here if you want, the first time he came on, and learn more about him if you want. And I've also brought on Bobby Schneider. You can check that one out. Again, right here, if you want to check out Bobby's episode when he came on the first time. Anyway, without further delay, let's begin. So to get things going, how did each of you guys get involved with Metallica? So uh, Bobby came first, I'm assuming? Yeah. Okay. And you were uh, friends uh, with John, or how did you get into it? Well, I, um, Howard Ungerleiter was the tour manager, and I'd worked with Howard on Rush. Oh, cool. And um, they came through Boston. It's a good story, actually. They came through Boston where I was the stage manager at a great club called the Channel Club. And I don't know that I'd ever heard of them, really, because I, you know, didn't, that wasn't really my genre of music. I mean, um, so the bill was Metallica, Armored Saints, and Wasp. Certainly not in that order, especially not according to Wasp. <laughs> and um, anyway, my buddy Bob Yurko was driving, a, who I've worked with for years and different things, was out driving a truck for them. And um, so anyway, we did the show and um, and they left. And I guess I remember what something happened with the drum road. I guess they left them behind at one show. So maybe some Canada immigration, but basically the guy also destroyed a hotel room. 
so Howard knew me and Bob knew me. And so I guess when this went down, they said, well, you know, we just saw Bobby. So come in, uh, you know, you should call him. He just finished working for Tony Thompson. I used to be, it was drum road. It's one of the things I did to start anyway. Um, so I went out, I flew to Detroit, Ann Arbor, Royal Oak Theater, remember it exactly. And I became Lars's drum roadie and I was the drum roadie. And then I just, you know, they didn't really have uh, anyone running things um, crew wise. And you guys, well, Joel's never worked with me, but Aiden knows. I mean, <laughs> I was large and in charge quickly. Um, and then Howard had a leave to go back to Rush. So we did that tour. And then Howard had a leave to go back to Rush. And he said, well, she just had Bobby do it. He's pretty much running everything anyway. So Howard and I sat in, uh, and I wish were I'd you, say this. Sorry, somewhere. were you drum teching for Rush too? No, I was a lighting t- a lighting guy for Rush. Oh, you're a lighting guy? I didn't know that. Okay. And... <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, so Howard said he trained me, and I like I hadn't been really a tour manager. I mean, I've worked for local bands where I was the only guy or I was some kind of manager. But anyway, so Howard trained me how to settle and a bunch of other things in an ill-fated afternoon at the Franklin Plaza in L.A. Me! <laughs> well, was, that was the place. We should talk about that if we want to laugh a little bit. But um, anyway, and that was it. And then... Five, five years, six years, um, I was your tour manager. That's neat. And so did you, well, you didn't hire Aiden. Aiden would have come through the PM, yeah, or the, through the band, or? There was no PM. I mean, for, <laughs> most the time, for most of the time I was there, I mean, and that was probably my, I don't know, I mean, just reflecting. I mean, that was probably part of my uh I'd say my downfall there because I did everything for the longest time. I think even when Aiden was out, yeah. I don't remember where we got Aiden from. So, um, so I'll turn it over to Aiden for a minute because otherwise, you know, you'll just keep hearing me talk. <laughs> well, my, yes. Uh, so you actually called me at my parents' house in Sebastopol, California. Robert I had uh, was a good man. Rest in peace. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. I, uh, I got a call from Bobby one day out of the blue. Um, I had moved back in with my folks at the particular time and, you know, just kind of rethinking things. They were in Sebastopol up in Sonoma County, beautiful place to live. Yeah. And uh, I was working for the band Y and T at the time. That's right. Maybe Nigel gave me your number. I, I would imagine. I would imagine. No, you know what I think it was? I think it was Adam Day because I think he called him first. And uh, so I get a call one day from this guy, Bobby Snyder, asking if I uh, would be interested in working for the band Metallica. And uh, as he said, same with me, way out of my wheelhouse. I, uh, you know, uh, I grew up listening to Peter Frampton and journey and and you know all the slickly polished bands montrose right wasn't that your jam montrose montrose was my first concert yeah absolutely um and you know ironically enough um my first gig with y&t was a day on the green in oakland california they used to have these amazing festival shows and they would stack them uh, you know all summer long uh saturday and sunday 
about every other Saturday and Sunday throughout the summer. And you'd see just amazing combinations of, of, of bands. So my first gig with Y&T was Day on the Green in Oakland. And on that bill, along with us, were uh, the Scorpions were the headliner. Ingve uh, Malmsteen's Rising Force <laughs> was on that. And, uh, and this band that I knew nothing about from the East Bay called Metallica. And I distinctly remember there was a big ramp coming down from the parking lot that would come down to where they had the stage built in center field in this the Oakland A's baseball stadium. Uh, and I think the, the Raiders played football there for a while. So I'm standing at the top of the ramp in the afternoon and I hear what I can only describe as a cacophony. And I'm not referring to the band cacophony necessarily. Um, but I hear this sound and I'm like, what the fuck is that? You know? So I go down the ramp and I walk out onto the stage and I see these guys whipping their hair around and, and screaming in anger <laughs> and, and, and the crowd just gobbling it up. And I thought, you know, who are these guys? And it turned out to be, of course, it was Metallica. Yeah. And, and that was my only exposure to Metallica until Bobby called me and asked me if I would consider coming to work for James. So the next day, I remember distinctly, uh, he called again and put James on the phone. We had a chat, uh, great conversation. And we were the same age at that point. What were we, Bobby, 23, 22, 24, something like that? Uh, yeah, that's about right. You know, right in that, in that ballpark. So we were all... You know, those guys are about four years younger than me, so... Okay, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm 60 now, so... You know, I'll 80, be hitting 60 this year, by the way. Yeah, yeah, 80, 86. It was 1986, summer 1986. You so Andy Batty then, right? I was after... I took... Yeah, because Andy just... He'd left at that point. That was why you were looking for somebody. So uh, I, you know... We had a great conversation. Um, I liked what I was hearing. Um, I liked the money that was being offered. I, I, I won't actually tell you what it was because it was pretty crap by today's standards. But, but back then, it was certainly more than I had ever made before. Um, and I would be on a plane days later to, I want to say, Knoxville, if I'm not mistaken. And it might have even been Nashville and then a, a, a ride to Knoxville on a show day. So wow. they were supporting Ozzy Osbourne at the time mm -hmm. and they were making a big noise, you know, at that point, this was towards the end of the Ozzy tour now. Um, and old Ozzy shirts often. Yes. 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 And so I agreed to do it. And the day before I arrived in Nashville, Knoxville, wherever it was, James fell and broke his arm skateboarding in a swimming pool. That was in Indiana, Indianapolis, Evansville. Evansville, Indiana. So that was right before Ooh. you guys got to Tennessee. And by the time I arrived, John Marshall had been moved over to play James's parts. That's right. Sort of off stage. Yes, sort of off stage. Uh, almost off stage at that point, but that kind of changed over time. Um, and all, 
all of a sudden I was working for this guy, Kirk Hammett, I knew nothing about. Um, it all kind of fell into place pretty easily. But one of the things that uh, I do remember was really having a hard time understanding my my job and our jobs at that point, and it's it's become more so now than ever before, is that you need to know the music that's being played. You need to, to be able to know where you are in a song. You need to be able to push a button. You need to be able to move a mic stand. You need to be able to do this, that, and the other. I couldn't figure that stuff out, man. I had no idea what I was hearing. Every song sounded the same. And... <laughs> You know, and, and form yet though, were you? You know, I'm I'm my dad now. What can I say? But you know, it it was it it, it was a a confusing, wonderful, uh, stressful, you know, all of those things. But I would have to. Brian Hendry was the monitor engineer at that point, wasn't he? Well, Brian Hendry was the monitor engineer for Ozzy. Oh, okay. So it was Brian that would have to tap me on the shoulder. And tell me, get ready to bring that microphone out for I Kirk. I guess he must have done monitors at that point. I don't mm -hmm. know. I'd have, to, I'd have to think back. I mean, um, I remember it was him. And I remember him tapping me on. Because I'd stand there. I'd have a microphone stand in my hand. Because Kirk would do the die. Right. Die. You know. Right. And again, I, I don't know what song it is. You know. So he would tap me on the shoulder and say, get ready to go. And then he'd tap me on the shoulder, say, go put it out there. And then he, I'd get off the stage and then he'd tap me on the shoulder, say, go get it. So you were, you were supposed to text for James. Yep. You didn't because he couldn't play. Right. And then you became the tech for Kirk. Yep. Got it. So, so I worked the rest of the back line. So um, there was a guy <laughs> that I didn't see for probably the first four shows. I kept hearing about him. And he was Phil's, or uh, sorry, he was uh, Cliff's bass tech. His name was Eddie Kircher. Okay. But I never saw him because he was driving the truck. So we would get done with the show and we would load out and then he'd leave. So I had no idea who the guy was until actually later on, shortly thereafter, we started a tour in Europe, in the UK. And all of a sudden I was designated as Eddie's roommate in the hotels. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we could we could spend an entire show just talking about that um and then fleming larson i have honestly forgotten all of this i guess i had my own shit to do <laughs> well i've forgotten more than i remember with, bobby where was i when i was no who did you share a room with i didn't share a room mm -mm. oh there you go <laughs> no and bobby if you'll indulge me i can tell um I could tell a, a, a clean version of a story. My first day with Metallica was arriving in, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and actually look at a schedule. So I want to say it was Knoxville. We, we, were playing. One, we did. We missed one show. I'm going to look it up now, but go ahead. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious which one it was. It might look, it might've been Nashville. It might've been the municipal auditorium in Nashville. Oh no, but you know what I don't remember is why Batty would have left um, so quickly and why we would have had to replace somebody in the middle of. Why, why, why who? Why Andy yeah. Batty or whoever oh, was doing. Jamie. I think. I, from what I recall, I think he just got fed up and walked away one day, didn't he? Well, I certainly don't remember that. 
Yeah, and I, I, I and I don't know because I didn't know him at the time. I didn't meet Andy till. Joe, we need a we need a number two. Yeah, we'll have to. Well, and the other baddie actually said to say hi to you guys, Kevin Walsh. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, we had we had some some good times with him. Uh, Metal Church. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so I fly out from California, not knowing anything about this band and and not really you know understanding all of the ramifications involved you know james has been injured and kirk and and this that and the other and it's all new so i think it it might have made things a little bit easier for me that things were in such turmoil at that point because i wasn't the only one that was sweating things okay you know and and so i so i get to where we are I'm driven to a hotel and I'm told that the first thing I need to do when I get to the hotel is I need to knock on Bobby Snyder's door in the hotel room. So I go to the front desk. I say who I am. I say, yep, he's in such and such a room. So I get in the glass elevator. It's one of those uh, uh, like embassy suite style with the, all the rooms kind of facing down into the lobby area. We're in glass. Europe. Right? We're in Europe now. No, no, no. This was this was still this was my Tennessee? first show. So this was in Tennessee. Okay. So, so Knoxville. Knoxville. It was Knoxville. So I, I am going to find out what happened between. Uh, well, it was Nashville. The show after Evansville was Nashville. That's where he broke his arm. Right. I mean, I wonder. Let's see who would have been taking care of James. Would Daddy have been doing that? I don't know yeah. If that was Andy. Right yeah. And, and well. Yeah, I and I don't know. You and I haven't ever discussed this before. Who was there before me? Like, I'm, I, this is intriguing to me that in the middle of that run that someone left. John Marshall definitely was Kirk's guy forever. Yep, yep. Fleming and was there. Started playing. Yep. So yeah, we needed someone to take care of Kirk. Right. And James, I don't know. You know, I mean... Uh, James was singing with a cast. Daddy used to do, used to take care of James and Cliff. Right. So, yeah. And then Eddie Kircher came in and he was Cliff's roadie. Yep. But by the time he was Cliff's roadie, the gear, I remember, I mean, I made the deal. The gear was going in Ozzy's truck. So I don't remember well, driving a truck at that point. Maybe You know that? Yeah, I, I, I would have to, I, I would have to, um, I'd have to say no, only because this was right before my birthday. My birthday is August 1st. Okay. So I celebrated my birthday out with those guys. And the night of my birthday, instead of being able to hang out and have a couple of cocktails as we normally would, I was tasked with driving that rider truck that night and had to drive overnight. So there was definitely a backline rider truck of, involved in the process at that point. Yeah. For sure. And and I was like gloss over. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I I was thinking, man, these guys really like to have a good time. I can't wait to celebrate my birthday on the road with these guys. <laughs> and there I there I am in a rider truck, you know. With Kircher or on your own? On my own. So how many yeah. gigs did you do in the US before you guys went to Europe? Well, Bobby, that was towards the end of the, the Aussie tour. So I would imagine no more than Maybe a, a two weeks worth at that point. A short run. 
Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were all but finished. They'd been doing the entire summer with Ozzy. Okay. Uh, at that point. So and then you guys go to Europe and is James's arm better at that point? Oh yeah. Yeah. So James, James was in the cast. John was playing his parts, setting up and tearing down his gear. Eddie was looking yeah, after. John was going to quit. He, John, John was going to. Yes. John had to do his be his own tag. Yes. Yes. He wasn't and, happy about yes, that. And, and right. And it was you and Kircher. Yeah. Fleming. Fleming, right? Mm-hmm. Fleming, rest in peace. God bless him. Yeah. Yeah. One of the nicest guys in show business. Jake. Um, so. We went home after all that, after, after you left, I guess. Uh, Danny Murphy ended up taking care of Kirk. Danny Murphy. No, no, no. Danny Murphy came in while I was still there. So, so what we did at, at that point was we came home and then I was all excited because, you know, I'd done clubs and, and gigs here and there in, in America, but you know, now all of a sudden we're flying to the UK to start a European tour, my first European tour. Okay. You know, I got some experience flying over there. My my Did folks. Did you get out of the border to Scotland? Yeah, I can't. I, I can't remember. So, Joe, back in the day, anybody knew? Nothing ever happened to me because I probably told someone to fuck themselves. But <laughs> so, if you were gullible enough and knew enough. Going into Scotland, of course, there's no border, but you'd the bus driver would stop and you tell the guy, well, you have to go, you have to take your passport, you have to go clear. <laughs> that wasn't me. No. And, and, <laughs> and we'd actually make people get off the bus in the dark. I mean, it was just on the side of the road. Oh, it's up the road there a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, wasn't wasn't me. At that point, my parents lived in Ireland for the longest time. So, so I, you know, I've spent a good portion of my life going back and back and forth. Probably tried, probably tried. I probably said, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so, so we, we, so the next step in the process is flying to the UK and we're all, I live in the Bay area. The band lives in the Bay area. So we all get on this Pan Am 747 going from San Francisco to London. And because I'm the new guy, Cliff is the only smoker in the band, and they need somebody to ride back with him in smoking section on the uh, on the aircraft. I smoked. Kircher smoked. Yeah, Kirk, yeah, but I was the new guy, so that was me back there. And and uh, ironically enough, I had never spoken to Cliff before that time. And by the time we got off that plane, I had a great deal of respect for the guy. We had a great time just talking about stuff. And uh, I'm yeah, just sorry. I didn't on the same area, basically, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, you, you know, guys I, talk about just life, you know, growing up, our families, music. What do you, you know, what did two guys talk about? You know, it was, uh, it, you know, just getting to know each other, basically. Did and you uh, cigarettes too. Oh no, I'm allergic to half the stuff in a cigarette. Oh. So it was it was a pretty rough, pretty rough eight nine hour flight. Did you tell <laughs> me you were allergic and I made you sit back there anyway? What's that? Did you tell me you were allergic and I made you sit back there anyway? I might not I have told you. Told me you were allergic. Uh, I might not have told you. No, probably not. You know. see, see, that's the old roadie. That's the old roadie creed, isn't it? Just yeah. suck it up. Suck it up. Do that. You get yeah. fucking 
You know, it's it's an experience that I'll never forget. If I did that now, even though there's no smoking on any plane, and uh, you could sue me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, listen. <laughs> yeah. Any <laughs> whole list of whole list of things. Um, but I, I do get off the plane and you guys are you guys are buds now, sort of. At least well, you know the guy a bit. Well, what I, what I what I do want to do is is take a quick step back to the hotel in in Nashville, Knoxville. Um, I go and I knock on this hotel room door to meet Bobby Snyder for the first time. The guy answers the door in the all together with all the lights off. And so my first meeting with Bobby was face to face and he didn't have a stitch of clothing on. <laughs> so, so that that's a thought many people want to carry, but right. Okay. And, 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 and yeah. And, and so, so that happens. And then I end up being roommates with Eddie Kircher on the road. So, so I've got a lot of trauma in my background, you know? <laughs> That's what you talked about with Cliff. You ever seen a grown man naked? No? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was talking about Eddie Kircher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, you know, fast forward, uh, England, we're going to um, rehearse in Birmingham. Where we uh, uh, Big Mick and uh, Drain, our uh, our LD, are both from uh, that's who the at that point. Yeah, so we rehearsed for a time. I don't remember how long. Maybe ten days, twelve days. Um, right now, we have a great great time, great time rehearsing, getting to know each other. Um, and then I think now I want to say Bobby that James did two or three shows in the UK in the cast still. I've got some photos and I know that he did it in Dublin. We were at the SFX in Dublin. So I've got a picture of myself tuning Kirk's guitar with Kirk standing next to me at the SFX surrounded by my cousins that all came down to the show that day. Oh, that's cool. Um, and so during those rehearsal days, I mean, were you guys partying your asses off? I mean, you're all in your early twenties, everybody. Or were you guys pretty? We were professional, focused, professional. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'd say yes to all of that. You know, there there were I mean, there what were was considered professional those days is a lot different than what's considered professional now. Yes. Yeah. I, yes. I'd I'd go along with that. I'd go along with that. All we right. we had a we had a good time, and you know, by that time, I was starting to feel a little bit more comfortable in in the position and surrounded you know in the in the genre because again man my musical upbringing did not include anything remotely close but but so your you dad know, was in a your dad was in an irish uh, band though right my dad my dad was a, a singer he was a crooner in ireland back in the late 50s yeah yeah okay yeah appreciate you remembering that yeah yeah he was yeah. but but you know old standards and bing crosby records and nat king cole records didn't go far enough to get me ready for what I had in store, you know, but his dad was cool. Yeah. My dad was cool. Yeah, absolutely. He was. Um, and then, you know, from there we, we toured the UK and then, you know, ironically, um, we had a double decker bus at that point in the UK. That's right. And we, uh, we did, uh, you know, L London, Dublin, uh, I want to say we did the Barrowlands in Glasgow, if I'm not mistaken. We did. I'm looking at the dates. Edinburgh. We, we were that was with production. Yeah. 
So yeah, we did all the we did all the U, we did all the UK dates, and we ended in. Um, <laughs> we did play the Mayfair Ballroom in Newcastle. That was yes. a surprise of a place. Yes, we did, and we finished in London. Yep, yep. I think Your we also crew did. Crew is small still. You guys are kind of a skeleton crew. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah you had, you know, had a. I think uh, it was a monitor, you know, course big Mick. I yep. don't know if Paul Owen had started mixing monitors at that point, or there was another guy we used to call Big Shirt. There was Drain, who was the LD, Aiden, of course, John Marshall, Eddie Kircher, and me. And, Fleming. And, and, and I think, and Fleming. And, and Fleming. Oh and if, am I mistaken in thinking that that may have been when Danny Murphy came on board or, or no? Danny Murphy came on board before we started with Monsters Rock. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So you guys are all touring in the same bus and all the gears and Aussies uh, trucks. Well, no, in Europe, we had production. We were, we were headlining uh, at that point. It was their first. Headline. There was no production manager. So I was still doing everything. And we were all on one bus and I probably had one truck. Okay. Sounds right. So we're cruising through, we get through England and then we move on to Scotland and then we move on to. Well, then we go to Europe. I'm look, I got the dates in front of me. Okay. How long was the first, whole run? The first date in Europe was in Sweden. And um, we did three shows. We ended in the accident, which we'll probably get to. And I think, that's part of the reason we're talking about remembering Cliff today was after Stockholm. Right. So how many shows were there before Stockholm? In Europe? In Europe, yeah. Three. Oh, like not a lot. Besides the no. UK. We've done you guys three had a different bus switched. in the UK? Well, I don't remember what happened, why we switched buses or what we had. I don't but, remember why. I remember us doing it. I remember us going to a lowrider. I mean, I don't know if I can even say the name of the company. I don't think they're around anymore. Buses in those days, there were not many purpose-built buses. Almost none. Right. Buses in the UK were tour buses, were basically tour buses for, you know, sit-up. So what they did is they'd convert them quickly, and they just they put up bunks in the back. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the bus were just seats, like regular seats in a coach. Oh, and so okay. I don't know why we got a new bus in England or what exactly happened. Uh, but anyway, we ended up on a bus and they had built this pretty quickly, I think. Like, I'm yeah. wondering... I'm wondering, I don't, I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine we did all of England without buses. No, we had the double-decker bus throughout England. We did all of England, Scotland, Ireland, and uh, I don't think we went to Wales, but we had the, the double-decker bus throughout, and then we changed when we went over to uh, Scandinavia. Well, they never, so when we got the bus in London, um, they, it was a quick job, we'll say, of putting the bus together. Yeah, and I mean, it was fairly common that they would just put the bunks in and it would be like the bunk in a window. Right. Okay. Just a regular coach window. Yeah. Curtains. So. Um, 
So when you got the new bus, it was with a new driver, new company. We maybe it's because you guys went to a different country, you got a different bus. Don't remember, but yeah, you know. I don't either. But anyway, we had this new bus. The bus seemed fine. It was a legitimate company, and it was nothing like anybody said. Whoa, this is dangerous. Nothing like that. No, driver was actually fine. We did, you know, we started the days with them. It wasn't. There was, there was, you know. I mean, I'll say this: there was definitely nothing wrong going into this. So okay. there was nothing suspicious. There was no one uncomfortable or anything like that. No, nothing like that. And so we were, you know, we were on this European tour. I mean, we were heading to Copenhagen, which is Lars. This was a big deal for Lars and, sure. you know, and, and the band because it's, you know, it's where they recorded two of the records. So, I mean, it was uh, so we're all on the bus at night. And at one point, um, there was a there was a discussion between. Well, of course, the band would choose their bunks first, and then probably I would get next choice. And there was a discussion between a bunk that both Cliff and Kirk wanted. And of course, when they wanted it, I was out of the draw, so I just backed out. And they drew a card at the beginning of that run, and Cliff got that bunk. Was the card the Ace of Spades? No, but I knew you were going to ask that. Okay. <laughs> Nothing is that fucking coincidental. Yeah. Do you know the card or? Don't I mean, you know, it, uh, it 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 definitely was a black card. That you know, um, no, I don't know the card. That matters anyway. But so anyway, we took off. We did our show, and we took off, and you know, we're going to wake up in Copenhagen, and um, it was a winter. So let's see, when was it? It was actually, wasn't quite the winter. I mean, it no, was, it was October, wasn't it? Nope, September 26th. September, of course, September 26th, yeah. But I mean, you know, you're in, you're in the, you know, in, in um, Norway, Stockholm, you know, you're in It was Stanford. really fucking cold. Oh. Yeah. So we were driving down the road, uneventful. We all got on the bus, good show, nothing, nothing to speak of. Everybody went to bed, and I'd say somewhere, I'm going to call it two in the morning, four in the morning. It was actually daylight break. So it would have been later. It would have probably, and it was the winter. So it could have been six in the morning. I'm sure, one of us could look and find out. Um, we all woke up to the bus just spinning. Like it was actually going that way. Yeah. And uh, people screaming. Everybody was asleep. Um, no shit flying everywhere. Luggage, clothes, um, so on. And eventually it turned, the bus turned over on its side, uh, on the driver's side, if I'm not mistaken. Um, maybe not. Yeah, the uh, driver's side would have been on the other side, right? Would have been on the right-hand side, side of the bus, yeah. Driver's side in those buses. No, they're it's an English well, bus. It's an English bus, I guess. Yeah. 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 It ended up I remember the wheels were facing off the road. Yeah. Um, I guess. No, maybe not. I'd have to look at a picture. Anyway, we woke up to the bus spinning. And as the bus came to a, a, a screeching halt and crash and settled, you know, I mean, I I started to count people. I had no training in this at all. But, I mean, you know, I was taking care of everybody. So I started counting people. 
um, trying to figure out if anybody was hurt or what. And um, um, Aiden had uh, fallen into something. He probably still had his uh, blanket from his bunk, I guess. And he was under something, under some part of the bus. Um, and I don't really remember how he got out. All I know is that he was suffocating. And uh, me, maybe somebody else helped me. I'm getting shivers right now. Pull the blanket out, covering his face. Pulled it right out off him. And, um, you know, police were there. Um, we popped open the emergency hatch. Some of us started climbing out. And that's when somebody said, where's Cliff? And since the bus... So what had happened is right at that stress point, wherever Cliff's bunk was, of course, there was a window next to it. So right at that stress point, that must have been enough force to push him out um, yeah. of the window. And, you know, um, they told us that he didn't, probably didn't feel a thing. Hmm. So... You know, you can believe what you want to believe, but it was, um, and I don't know, I guess people say that to be comforting. I mean, still, I mean, we all, we all woke up. He had to have been up for a minute, but it was quick. I'd say that. How did you get out of the bus, Bobby? Climbed out the emergency hatch with most people. I don't remember how we, Aiden, did they have to come in and pull you out? So you got stuck in the bus, right? I can, I can elaborate uh, a little bit. Uh, on on the entire thing in that uh, you, like before before when you guys got on the bus were you drinking playing card games and stuff or did everybody just crash i would i would imagine that we were having a few beers as you would do after a show a successful show plus um, you're going back to lars's like homeland going back going yeah going back to copenhagen everybody was excited about that and remember we were in sweden so there we wouldn't have really been we wouldn't have had other things and yeah yeah. No. Where was the it, driver dude? Was the, the driver dude climbed out of the exit too? Don't remember. I can't I can't speak to any of that. They, 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 the police took him in. Yeah. Oh, they did. So and was he the same guy from England or this is a guy you didn't know? I mean, we didn't know this was a new band. We didn't know anybody over there. Yeah. yeah the, the, so the, the, the driver of the bus that we were in in Scandinavia, let's just say, because we were, I guess, again, Sweden to, to Denmark, um, was an English guy. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on his name and I feel terrible right now. Um, what I can say is that I woke up when the bus initially, and I, Bobby and I have never, just so you know, a disclaimer, Bobby and I have never had this discussion before. I don't think I've had it with anybody. No, and I haven't had it with anybody in an official context uh, at all. But I am a light sleeper to begin with. And I woke up when the bus went off the road prior to the spinning. And it was, it was, I don't want to use the word violent necessarily, but it was a, you know, an enthusiastic rumbling and bumping and, you know, that kind of thing that that woke me out of a dead sleep. And then there was a pull and then the bus started to spin, but it was like everything 
just kind of stopped at that point. There was no more rumbling. There was no more tire noise. There was no more engine noise. There was nothing but like just a, a, a whoosh kind of a sound as yeah. the bus spun on, on came back. I felt the pull back on the road and then the, 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 the whooshing sound of the spinning of the bus. And then the bus hit what I, I think was an embankment of some kind. It hit something and there was a bang and the bus flipped over on its side. And all I remember is, is things crashing, you know, and piling up on me. I had a fucking Anvil briefcase back then that probably weighed 78 pounds that I carried everywhere with me. And that thing hit me in the head, you know? Um, and then I remember stuff piling on me. And then I realized I couldn't breathe any longer. I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. And I distinctly remember the realization that at that point, that was going to be it. Um, I, I, I couldn't catch my breath. I was pinned. There was no one that I could hear or see, or it was all dark. And I, I basically, uh, I know it probably sounds uh, cliched, but at that point I realized that I wasn't going to be going home. And when that happened, uh, it, it was kind of like you hear in the movies, you know, it was kind of like, okay, that's, here's what's happening. And then the next thing I know, stuff is being pulled off of me. And the next face I see is this fellow right here. Hmm. Um, and I could breathe. I couldn't move, uh, but I could breathe. I had pain in my back, pain in my leg, pain in my arm, pain in my head. Um, but I could breathe and it was Bobby looking in at me. Now I thought my perspective of it, and it could have just been the circumstances, but my perspective of it was maybe that you were looking back in through the hatch in the roof or you were hanging in through the hatch. I, mean, I, I don't in, know. I was in the bus. I remember pulling that blanket off and you being under something and on your back. Yep. Yep. And, and so the thing, the thing of it is, and again, this is something that from a, from an official standpoint and a public standpoint, I've never had this conversation other than, you know, maybe close friends or family. Um, but I was pinned with my arm out to the side and there was somebody laying on my shoulder. And all I could see was blonde hair. And that was it. And I distinctly remember asking Bobby to get me out. And I can't remember if it was Bobby that made the realization or if it was me that made the realization or if it was him telling me that it was Cliff. But I do remember saying to Bobby, if you get me out of here, I'll help Cliff get out. And I remember, Bobby, you telling me not to worry about Cliff. And that's when I realized fully what had happened. You know, it's interesting that none of us went through any counseling whatsoever. I did for a while on my own. Nothing that they, nothing that they directed us to. There was no... No, 
No, there was none of that. Grief counselor. I mean, we were no. we were all sent home. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. stayed behind to make sure Cliff's body got back to California in mm -hmm. Copenhagen and had to deal with that for a little bit. And I mean, I had a broken collarbone. Lars had a broken foot or something. Yeah. They took us all to this hospital and uh, we were still in Sweden. They took us to this hospital and I was just reading something about Scott Ian had written an article because Anthrax did that date with us. They did. But they left early because there was a storm in ice. Yep. So the guy hit ice. Yep. And it I mean, was, he, yeah, it was obvious. They, they investigated it. He was, he was considered not at fault, but I mean, remember getting, getting out of the hospital finally. And I don't know, I must've arranged the van for the crew. And then I had a, taxi for me and the band what there was really no band and i remember saying something about no this taxi's for the band and um i don't know which which one of them was probably james he said there's no band cliff's not here there's i remember no you telling me that and uh i mean no one no one really knew what was up and um what was going to happen with them. And we were all, you got to remember, we were all, things were different in those days. We were, we were close. I don't, you know, I mean, my, my recent history is working with, um, with a lot of artists and, you know, um, where you're really separated from. Yeah. This was nothing like that. There's nothing like it. I, it's not, there was no, I mean, you know, we all sort of came up together. I mean, I was new. I was I was almost as new as they were. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Never been a tour manager before. I don't even think I was 30. Yeah. So I was 28. It was so a bunch of kids know. traveling the world, uh, yeah, we, playing music and having a good time, you know? Yeah. And I remember that uh, we all they they those of us that didn't live there, we so we came to the funeral. Um and or the I think we did a memorial service. I don't think we we're actually at the funeral. That was probably just a family. And um, and we go back to to um, Cliff's folks' house. Right afterwards, my mom and dad came. My mom right. and dad came with. That's where you met them. I want to say. Yeah, I think I'd met your dad before that. But Ray and, Ray and Jan's house, and we were all. We were all gathered together there. I got, I got pictures somewhere of it. Yeah. And then um, and then they had a meeting that day. They had a meeting with Peter Mensch that day. And um, then Peter had a meeting with, with me, Eddie Kircher. I think that's it. Because Eddie, by that point, Eddie was kind of stage managing or whatever. Well, you dubbed him production manager. Uh, on that uh, on that European run after after all this because we were in France I want to say the night that you made that announcement. <laughs> sure, there's a story behind that too, but yeah. um, another day, another day. Yeah, you, so then, wait, so after the accident though, you guys had a couple of weeks and then you went back to work. Oh no, it was more than a couple of weeks. I okay, mean, it was shorter than I'm it was sorry, shorter than anyone expected. I can tell you that. I mean. You know, I don't remember when we did the memorial service, but 
it, it couldn't have been more than a month later. And the band decided, you know, like I said, at that memorial service, they had the meeting with Peter that they were going to continue on and look for a bass player. Um, so I, <laughs> I became Eddie Kircher's roommate or he became mine. <laughs> we, we moved into apartments in San Francisco, Lars, James and me. And um, they started doing auditions. Yep. And so you were there, both of you guys were there during the auditions? Yep. yep. Well, I, I never really made it out to the auditions because I was dealing with the, all the logistics of getting everybody picked up and who was going where and so on and so forth. The, uh, the place where they held the auditions, I don't remember what it was called, but it was very much like a scene out of Hostel. You know, it was, uh, it was a, a creepy, dingy, dark. Uh, it was their old rehearsal space. In, is, that, in, is that what it was? Yeah. In Hayward, yes. Where they, it, was, it was almost like a locker. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so was John Zazula there, too? No. John was, John was long out of the picture because John, you know, I mean, John was always around cheering them on but and i'm you know i'm sure he um you know still was but no no because metallica got signed before i came along yeah uh, they they uh electra bought them out michael lago who um right a whole other story joel we'll talk about <laughs> we ought to see if we can get michael on one day joel um because his wow. life has certainly changed um but michael lago signed them so they were on Electra. Got it. So once Electra came in the picture, John was out of the picture. Yeah, he was always around, though. I mean, you know, there was there were they. I, I don't know if there was what the continued business was, um, but you know, no, it was Q Prime. I mean, Q Prime hired me. Oh, really? It was even before they had an office. What were some of the better and some of the worst auditions? Do you remember a maiden? <laughs> well, most of them were pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, back then it was so 50 people, I think we had. Yeah, it was. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. It was the uh, it was the dingy, creepy version of a Nashville cattle call, you know, where it would literally like a line of guys. Yeah. And one of one of my jobs was driving a van and shuttling uh auditionees to and from the airport to the rehearsal room and back and the, the one that stands out in my head probably more than any of the others was i drove to san francisco airport and i'm in a you know like a, a chevy passenger van you know um i drove to san or san francisco airport to the arrivals area and I remember driving through and I'm looking around and I see this skinny kid with long curly hair and a black leather jacket, and black stretch pants. And I rolled, leaned over and I rolled down the passenger window and I shouted over and I said, hey, are you Jason Newstead? And he just looked at me and went like that. <laughs> and I, 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 I pretty much knew at that point that he had a pretty good chance. <laughs> well, if you remember when you picked Jason up, he left all his gear at the airport. <laughs> and I don't even know how anyone called me because, I mean, so I was, whatever office or whatever apartment I was in, 
I yeah, no cell phones back then. Phones, so yeah. you must, it's, was, it's had to be a pay phone. Yeah. Hey, I got to go back to the airport. We left, I left all my gear there. Yeah, he never, I don't recall him ever saying anything to me on the drive to the studio about that. But that could just be one of those many things that I've forgotten. But I, I remember driving him over the, the bridge and having a chat with him and just thinking, I'd say he stands a pretty good chance of getting this gig, you know. And Did they actually do his uh, audition? Yeah. He was good. He was good. Yeah, they locked it in, I heard. Almost right away. Yeah. He, uh, he was the first guy that came in and, you know, you had a bunch of people there auditioning for Metallica because they were auditioning for Metallica. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Jason was a kid, shit, we're the same age now, I guess, or close, who wanted that gig more than anybody on the face of the earth. You know, he knew that he was the right guy for it. And, you know, when you get yourself into that headspace where you, 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 there's no question in your mind, there may still be questions in other people's minds, but in his mind, he was the right guy for the gig. And I think that that came out in his yeah. audition because it was, it, you know, it was like guys glancing at each other going, okay, you know, what's going on here? You know, did you end up teching for him? I did not. I was still working for James at the time. Okay. And, uh, no, Zach, we, we, Zach Harmon came on board. Yes, indeed. And I don't, I, I remember do, we did the cat club. Do you remember that Bobby? We did, we did so with, with Jason, Jason's first run with Metallica was, I think, I want to say two club gigs. Troubadour. The Troubadour and then, and then the Cat Club. Or, I can't remember. But then we went to Japan. Right. So Jason's first official gigs with Metallica were in Japan. And again, my first. Some, some shithole in Long Beach. That's the one I'm trying to remember. Long yes. Beach and the Troubadour. Yeah. I, the, the, the Long Beach one is the one I'm drawing a blank on the name. I remember it being truly that, a shithole. it burned down. Yeah, yeah. And then that's where we met Zach. Well, we and, knew Zach from Armored Saint. Exactly. You think Jason fit into the fold real quick? I don't know. I think so. What about you, Bobby? Do you think Jason fit in pretty quick? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say this. You know, I mean, I'm... My life's a lot different now, and Joel, Joe, and I share some of that. And um, I um, have mellowed in my—I won't say old age—years. Um, <laughs> yeah. Very become very spiritual. I read and practice in Buddhism, which is new to me. I meditate every day. Awesome. I practice awesome. yoga. I don't yell at anybody anymore. Um, <laughs> well, I, I had my share. I was, uh, totally, totally own up to that. Okay. Um, I, have not, no, I have nothing to hide. I own every every mistake and every good thing I ever did. They're both mine. But um, we never processed Cliff. I don't believe the band to this day this is the deepest conversation I've had about Cliff ever. Me really. too. Um, yeah. we, and this isn't even deep because 
Cliff and I were dear friends. I mean, we we were we were close. I mean, there we we bonded. We hung out when if I was in San Francisco or was at his house. I mean, we ate together. We went out together. It wasn't really that close with the other guys. James in those days was very much to himself, and yeah. you know, um, was feeling his his way. You know, we were kids. Yeah, you know. Lars has always been Lars, I guess. And, you know, Kirk, Kirk, Kirk's still full of wonder and curiosity. But, I mean, Cliff and I bonded. Cliff was older and by them uh, yeah. by a few years. And Cliff was eons older than them in, in life. Uh, yeah, and, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And, and Cliff had a vision for what Cliff was. Cliff had the most wonderful family life that, I mean, he had death in, he had death in his family because his brother had died, but yeah. Cliff's family were family. And Cliff was very grounded. And Cliff really didn't give a shit what you thought about his fucking bell bottoms yeah. or what anybody had to say, but the, the man was about truth. Yeah. And he was... I don't know that there was a band leader in those days, but I can tell you that if Cliff didn't like it, it wasn't going to fucking happen. Hmm. Um, you know, Mars and James wrote everything, but Cliff, Cliff was like Charlie Watts, okay? Yeah. Like, you know, if you ask anybody that really knows that camp about the Stones, Charlie Watts was the fucking soul of that band. And if Charlie didn't like something, it didn't happen. And that was the same way with Cliff. And we never, we put Cliff to bed. We put him to rest. Um, we honored, you know, his life. We honored his death. But none of us ever talked about it. None of us. Yeah. Um, we got going with Jason. And I'm going to get to something in a minute because I hope that he listens to this for what I'm going to say next. We never processed it. We held it. We bottled it up. We never really, I mean, you know, we could have all fucking died, right? I mean, we could have easily all died, but Cliff died. We never, so we just got on with it. And, you know, it was all good for Jason because, you know, he was, he was probably the happiest kid in the world. But because there was no grief counselor, virtually no time. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I remember maybe... I remember I was I was raised Jewish and at that point I hadn't been in a temple and you know I was maybe 30. I probably hadn't been in a temple in 15 years. And I remember it was right around the high holidays that I went and prayed for Cliff hmm. and for everybody. But that's that's as deep into it as I got. Yeah. And here comes Jason Newstead, high in the sky. Best gig of his life. His life, you know, things happen, you know. I mean. And, man, he took such a load of shit. And, I mean, A, yeah. none of us had really been on the road. I, I guess I'd been to Japan. Maybe. I'd been to Japan. Um, I don't think many others had. I never had been. And, you know, that's a different thing. But And they were kind of rock stars even then, Japan. They were selling, yeah. sold everything out. I mean, they were, it was beginning at that point. And, um, but Jason, I mean, they, we pranked him. 
yeah. fucked with them. I mean, endlessly. And 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 honestly, Jason, if you ever listen to this, dude, I apologize because if and I never grieved Cliff either, so I guess I was mad at you too. Um, and it's a it's a weird thing. And but he fucking stood in there, man. I'll tell he you. He took what. that shit. He took it. He stood in there. And I remember being in a bar in Japan with Peter Mensch. Jason wasn't there. Kirk, Lars, and James. And Peter said to him, he's in your fucking band now. He's not Cliff. He's in your band now. And you need to treat him right. And I think things started to change a little bit then. But, um, you know... Um, Joel, you know what? I, I don't, I got to say, man, I don't, when you asked, when we talked about this and was it a taboo subject, was it something I wouldn't talk about? Mm-hmm. I don't even think I realized how this would make me feel. Like, yeah. and, uh, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm happy for it. Okay, I mean, good. I'm uncovering some stuff that you know, I, I haven't even thought about in many years. And, uh, and this, by the way, if you can see this. Uh, oh, yeah. the skull, okay. That is Cliff Burton's, that's Cliff Burton's skull ring. That's his ring, uh, yeah. That is, that is, folks, Ray and Jan said that this is for you, Bobby. Cliff would want you to have this. Wow. I thought James wore a ring like that. He might have. I mean, there might have been more than one. That's cool, man. That's really cool. So you know, it was it it. it you know, I I don't know that we ever. Um, I've had a lot of death happen in the past few years. Yeah, and I'm very accepting of it. So, and I always have been. I don't. I don't know. No one ever taught me that or anything. <laughs> I just accepted that clip was gone, but we never talked about it. Yeah. I mean, I, it aged all of us. It had to age all of us a lot, but we didn't even talk about it to each other. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. It, it was, yeah. I don't we never remember saying shit. I miss Cliff. Yeah, we lived it. You know, we, we were in the thick of it and things were moving so quickly that we never had the opportunity. We, you know, it, it happened so fast. Uh, you know, Jason came along so fast. We were right back out on the road again, and we had to think about that. And the band was exploding, you know, that we had. When did we have time to to? Well, I wonder who would have been the one to pull the trigger and say that you guys need to do it because you're all young. Who, who would have made the call? A parent, a manager, someone that knew better. I don't know. I'd say Mitch mentioned Bernstein. Had I mean, but, almost, but listen, you know? things were things were different. You know, I mean. um. We're we were not touchy feely back then, you know, and yeah, um, it, you know, it was it was come on, it was metal. I mean, you know, it was leather yeah. and denim and leather and and you know and 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 rock and roll and you know live in large. I mean, you know, listen, rock and rolls had a history. A lot of people had died, so yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and and yeah, but the hard part with Cliff is like none of it was his fault (laughs) nothing yeah yeah that's that's an interesting perspective for sure that truly doesn't i you know what i don't know that it matters 
I, I, I read, I, I listened to something a while ago, and I'm sure this is, um, this, this, this may, I don't know if it has a form, it has a form, but I was, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about death and they were talking about if there was an afterlife and where do you go? Yeah. And the person being interviewed said, well, you don't go anywhere. You're here. You still, you still stay here. Yeah. You still maintain this space. And the person doing the podcast was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, here, here's a practical analogy. Uh, we're in this room in this building. If the building was to go away, and the, of course, then the room, the room was to go away and the building would go away, the space would still be here. Okay. So, you know, Cliff, Cliff is still with us. I don't know. You know, Metallica are a very different animal right now. Um, they are, they, you know, when I worked for them, they wouldn't ride in a limo. No, they'd stay after. Remember them stay. Remember us setting up tables. Yep. And they'd stay after. The maddest they ever got at me. We played Hammersmith on this tour. We played Hammersmith, and they signed autographs like for hours. Yeah. And there was some after party um, happening, and I mean there were you know, and it was cold out. I guess we were outside outside. Yeah. Hammersmith. Yeah. And I made the band leave. And I mean, you know, I don't make them leave, but whatever, we left. And, and Lars came up to me later. He said, never do that again. He said, if yep. there's two kids out there, we're signing their stuff. Yep. And that's what they were about. Now, I'm not saying that they don't care about their fans now. And I'm, and, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that, you know, chemistry changes. And I... I really wonder if what they would they were would have been huge, I think, still. But I don't know that, you know, I mean now, I mean, look at the machine they are. They're, yeah. you know, they're the biggest band in the world. They travel like, you know, any other rock star royalty, private planes, you know, the best of this, the best of that. I mean, they deliver fantastic shows. They still put out great you know great material um that new song is fucking great by the way cool um, they're planning a cool tour this summer they do cool things they give back so they're good fucking people yeah you know that those guys flew many of us to the rock and roll hall of fame all expenses paid um when they got inducted <laughs> it had been 20 years since i worked for them and I only worked for them for five years, but I was there for a pretty pivotal point. Yeah. And they threw a bunch of us back. I don't, Aiden, were you there? Nope. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to make it sound like <laughs> That's I was awkward moment. Me, <laughs> yeah, um, no, I wasn't on the guest list. Well, we thought about you. <laughs> and, and I mean, I don't know. I'm just saying that this is good that we're remembering Chris. We did something a while back. I mean, they have a Cliff Burton Day in the Bay Area. I've been to a couple of those. Did you and read that his parents the, give the money to the school that he went to? Yeah. Well, both his parents are gone now. Oh. Yeah. Um, lost Ray just Dan's recently. Dan's gone 10 years, maybe longer. Yeah. And Ray, not so long ago. But they do it every year. Um, he has a sister still then? Yep, yeah, Connie. 
on Facebook, friends with her. Yeah, I, I got in touch with her. I got in touch with her. Oh, it's been probably three or four years now and, and was able to communicate with Ray through her, which was really awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I, I saw him just before. I, I, I saw him once or twice. And, you know, I mean, remember my mother saying to me, uh, she said, you stay in touch with that family. Even if no one else does, yeah, make sure that you stand, and I did. Yeah, awesome. did they used to go to the shows? Oh yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff. What would, what do you think, Cliff? Would have thought of the newer albums, the Black Album, Reloaded, Loaded? Well, I don't know. I don't know that Cliff would have ever changed from flannel and bell bottoms. I don't know. I don't know if Cliff would have enjoyed the high life. Yeah. I don't know if Cliff, I think Cliff would have dug playing in stadiums. Yeah. yeah. I think Cliff would have dug fans. Yep. I don't know that Cliff would have dug Pyro. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just don't know, you know, I mean. He was as he was a purist. I mean, you know, he was a <clears throat> he was a Bud and Marlboro guy. Actually, he didn't drink Bud, but he was pretty down to earth, and that was yeah. that was his upbringing. Yeah, and you know, those guys come from you know from very different walks of life. But I don't know, man. You know, listen. I think that he, you know, he probably would have taken to being a rock star. I mean, he was. They, they, you know, they were, he, he was definitely a star. If you watched him play on stage, the one thing about Cliff Burton is there was nothing else he could do but play that bass. Yeah. He you could guys, never had a job anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that he came to terms with his brother's death? Would, were you guys close enough to, to make any judgment on that, do you think? Or I couldn't tell you. I, we never sure. talked about it. I mean, I, I, I vaguely knew about it and I think I came to know about it more after later on, you know, maybe through conversations with some of the people that are still, you know, around that might've talked about Cliff or maybe it's something I read. Um, I mean, you know, do you ever really come to terms with it? You know, you think have to you accept can. it. Yeah, I think his brother was 16. I don't think that's yeah. something that you come to terms yeah. with. No, I mean, I, I think that it always leaves. I think the thing to remember is it's always going to leave a hole. I heard this, I heard this uh, quote the other day, and I, I, I hope I'll say it right. And, and it was that grief or grieving is just love without a place to go. Huh? And I thought that was probably the most beautiful thing I ever heard. Yeah, that's awesome. So, it summed yeah. everything up that it made, you know, so I don't know. I can tell you Cliff was a very balanced and grounded man. Yeah. And that was, and he, and there was, he did not suffer fools and there was no bullshit. So if he was traumatically affected by death at that young age, you'd never know. It. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say he had, I'd say that I'd say the family missed him and, you know, and maybe part of his brother was a musician too. That's who turned him on to music. So, mm -hmm. 
you know, maybe in, in, in his brightest moments, that's who he thought about. I hope so. I hope so too. Standing in front of all those people, your band's taken off. You put the hours in, that's for sure. You know, it's exciting. It's cool. A bit of a fun one here. My buddy, Darren Paltrowitz, he has another podcast and we've become friends. And he said, how come, uh, the question is, why shit on Winger so much? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an answer to that? Or And the, the other part he actually did was- Say that uh, again? <laughs> Winger, why does Winger get shit on so much? He said, Rat got a pass. You guys had worked with Rat early on. Uh, he said that there was a rumor that Bob Rock came on to Metallica's camp because of Dr. Feelgood and that the guys in the band thought the album sounded so good. Don't know. I was gone by then. Yeah, me too. Me too, unfortunately. All right. And then uh, the second part. So I did. I got to meet Jason. Jason, uh, I should say, is an artist. I hope he's still doing art. But he did that TV show, the uh, Rockstar Supernova <laughs> show. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I toured with that. You did, but Jason wasn't there. Oh, oh funny! Yeah, he was smart enough to get out. That kind you know, of was a precursor to to all of the other TV shows that are on. Oh now. yeah, it is. It's early on, man. It's early on. Yeah, I went to the show and I was going there to talk to him about his art and stuff, and he was awesome. But yeah, he was so excited to be talking about art. I don't. I don't know how much he cared about the TV show <laughs> to be really to be. But uh, so, why did you guys think he left Metallica? What do you think, Bobby? Did he wanted to have a life? I was there when he left. Uh, I was still there. I, well, I I had a history with them where I would come and go, um, and I was I was back there, and we were in L.A. We had just done something at the Shriners Theater there, uh, one of the awards things, and uh, we were on our way to the airport. The next morning, very early in a shuttle bus, and Paul Owen, our monitor engineer friend, looked at me and he said, Jason's done. He's leaving. And I said, what do you mean? Because I didn't see it coming. But in fact, that was Jason's last night with the band. Whoa. And I, I don't, I, I guess I don't pay attention to drama as, as, as best I can avoid it. Sure. It's not it's not good for me. It's not good for anybody. But there was a lot going on there that I was I, I obviously missed. So I was taken by surprise when that happened. I really was. Uh, I couldn't tell you the ins and outs of it. I couldn't tell you the details because of that. It was just it was a startling revelation. And especially at that point where they were just, you know, they were just going at that point. I don't think it was what I, I think, I, I don't think Jason wanted to be in all the trappings. And I think that they, I'm not sure they ever really gave him the due and the respect he deserved. I, I would, I'd agree with that. I didn't see it, but I would agree with that. Having talked with him. He's going to be Jason Newkin. Yeah. yeah. Always. It, maybe it didn't come from all of them, um, but he wasn't Cliff, and he had replaced Cliff. Yep. And um, I think he always fell to side, and, you know, just, I mean, I didn't know him back in those days, so, I mean, by then, I'd long gone. I mean, yeah. 
But that's what I that's that's what I think from knowing Jason and knowing what it must have been like. And I mean, he didn't need the money at that point. Right. Yeah. I mean, whether he could have made many millions more or not, obviously he thought, I'm done. Yeah. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. What yeah, balls yeah. that must have taken. Oh no shit. You imagine walking away from that? Unbelievable. Crazy. What balls that must have taken. Yeah. Well, it's back to, you know, the way one life to live and yeah. live it to its fullest. Maybe you yeah. conquered everything. You, you are. You're in the biggest band in the world, you know? Yeah. yeah. So at the height of it. All right, brother. Love you, man. Love you, both. Okay. Right, guys. Take really care, guys. Wonderful. Great to see you. Thank you. Cheers. Hey, rest in peace, Cliff Burton. Yeah, absolutely. 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 All right. Good night, fellas. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed the show. I now have a Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Discord, and even a Patreon. The Patreon you can join for as little as one buck. The handle on all of them, it's of course, Joel Rody. I'll see you guys on the next one.